You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I got my co-host right beside me, all um, snudgery in his snudgery. Do you know what snudge? Ari means? I don't remember. You don't remember? Is that What's, a word from this week? That was a word from this week. I think, yeah. Well, I mean, was so the, wor- the word was snudge. Was that being busy? Acting like you're busy? Acting not- like you're busy and, and <laughs> with a back shirt doing nothing. Wait, that, that holds an insult. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. I feel yeah. convicted when I read that. We, so, oh, did yeah. you? That this, but it was, it, was really, it was really crafty to call it snudgery. You like that? I did. Snudgery. Yeah, yeah. It sounds Just like that snudge. Something from yeah. the Harry Potter universe, or something. but obviously you're far from snudgery there, Matt. So because because Matt he does a lot of prep work in preparation for our podcast, which I'm super grateful for because all of his work he brings, and I just kind of show up with all of my notes and all of my stuff, and we just talk. So hey, well, Matt, hey, welcome this week. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, you, you prep for the sermon, so. I prep for this, have my handy-dandy notes, and we are ready to go. Ready to go. Well, I'll just turn it over to you. Awesome. So this weekend we started the uh, the foundation of the Engage series. This is the church, mm. and there was a lot here. We were in Matthew 15, sorry, Matthew 16, 15 through 18. It was January 14th and 15th. So let's go through the main point. The main point is the church isn't a religious invention by humans, that has a mission, but the divine intention of God birthed out of and for his mission. There's a lot there in the main point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Th- there there is. Yeah, I spent a lot, a lot of time unpacking that. You did. But because, I, you know, like, I think so many Christians, they, they think in some sense the church gave birth to. A, a mission, like which I would even say that depending on who you ask will depend on what definition they give to you about God's mission. And so that's why I'm very clear about what God's mission is from the very beginning. But but in their mind, and maybe even how they've been taught, that the church is the one who gave birth to the mission. But that could not be further from the truth. And thus... You, you know, if you do believe that, you also would see that the church is somehow some some human invention that yeah. it just like came out of nowhere. What? Yeah. No, it didn't come out of nowhere either. And so that's really where I've I tried to lay the biblical foundation for how the the mission of God gave birth mm. to the people of God and how you have these different iterations of God's people throughout what we would call redemptive history. So, so yeah, and that's where I wanted to make sure uh, birthed out of and for his mission. Mm-hmm. So it's not that, and, and, and other scholars have said, it's not that the church has a mission, but that God's but but that God's mission has a church. Yeah. And I think that's so important because here here's why it's important like the order is important. If you think the church gave birth to God's mission, then whatever that church says is God's mission, what whatever they say it is, well then it is. Mm-hmm. But but if you understand that it's that that God's mission gave birth to the church, well then you you don't really have a any wiggle room mm-hmm. when it comes to you defining the mission mm-hmm. uh, as a church. And so that's why so I th- I think it's so important for us to understand the biblical foundation of God's mission and how God has always intended. And that's why I use the word intention and not invention. God has always intended for his people to dwell here on planet earth to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. See, there's a lot there. We yeah. haven't even started and and we're getting into it. It is um it's something that we've we've talked about really really over and over but this is specifically a unit through the church um you have have constantly taken us back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you have constantly talked about and preached on the mission of God and how we have to start with the mission of God and and so often um we ourselves individually and then we as churches start with the mission of uh, you know our purpose um the mission of God's people mm. And uh, and if we're not careful, that becomes very 
people-centric. Um, it, it comes out of our human will and not divine. And that's really what uh, you were getting at, I think, here. And that's that's what the, the main point, that's why it's so important to um, to see how, how dense it is because it's it's really about um, starting with God, starting with his His divine will, his divinity, and then how um, we fit into that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look over the last 30, 40 years, particularly in the American church or the church in America, and I use the the term church more in a general sense, you know, so multiple churches, there's, there's about 400,000 like churches mm. in America. So, so, but if you look at it and what has at least been going on in our cultural context, we, we tend to see the church in a in a very anthropocentric way. And I know that's a big word, but anthropocentric, so anthropology is what the the study of, of man or hu- humanity. So so the church has tended to be more anthropocentric, meaning more man-centered in how uh, the, the the church views ministry, how the church views like it's like well, well we got to cater around man. Mm. Well, because in some sense, if you if you see now, this is the thing. This is why it's so important. If you see that the primary mission of the church is to reach people mm. uh, that are that is far from Jesus. Then, especially coming out of the last thirty or forty years, well, what 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 is a what is a consumeristic culture? What is it built around? The consumer, yeah. and so the whole idea of marketing and the whole idea of spending millions of dollars to go and reach the consumer, it is consumer centric because you're trying to reach and grow your business, you're trying to reach and grow your product, and so if the church views that that its mission is just to reach people far from Jesus, then there is a temptation to to begin to see in some sense, the gospel or church ministry or what you do on the weekend in more of a consumeristic way. And so you start tailoring everything, even the message around why we got to reach people far from Jesus. But if you see what God's mission is from the very beginning, it is no longer anthropocentric. It is Christocentric, meaning it is Christ-centered. It is God-centered. And so then from that origin, you move out because here's here's what the Bible teaches. If Jesus is the center, if, if he's the one that your ministry and your message orbit around, then the Spirit of God is going to be prominent in power and manifesting his power in drawing people far from Jesus. Mm. So so we want we want the pre, we want the presence and the power of Jesus to be the attractive mechanism not just how we package things. Mm. Now, that doesn't discount that doesn't discount what we would call in the mission world contextualization, meaning that you're going to contextualize the the message, you're going to contextualize the the music, you're going to contextualize the ministries and the programs around more of the the people that you're trying to reach but that but you're not going to start there mm-hmm. you're going to start with what god wants what what god's mission is what god's desire is and then you're going to find a way that makes it relatable and engaging to the context in which you're trying to reach um and, and so you know we'll probably get more back into that kind of element when we get back into the book of acts because you you will definitely see it very clear in Paul's ministry. Yeah, as you can tell, there there's a lot here. There's a lot here in this message. Um, let's go through the outline, and then we'll dig into some specific questions. Um, even going through through the outline, I think each of these four categories we could probably spend the whole whole time on. But we'll try to we'll try to connect on each one of them. Yeah, we started by talking about words and how words change, you know, have their meanings change and also fall out of use. And that's where you you talked about the church and really these three misunderstandings of the church. Let me read those. Uh, The church, this is misunderstanding one, the church is a place you come to um, and you say, no, it's a people that we belong to. Uh, Misunderstanding two, church is a spiritual Burger King. You say, no, 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 it's his way right away. And then the third misunderstanding is church is an option. Uh, so the distinction there is if we are a child of the king, it's a requirement. It's not 
an option. Well, because you're part of the church. And here's the thing. If you're part of the church, mm. like so if you've – and which we'll, obviously we'll get into it because it was a point. But if you confess Jesus as Savior, as Lord, yeah. you, you are now grafted into his church and you have, he's given you a new heart. Mm. So everything that Jesus loves – and everything that Jesus is for, he's given you a heart to actually develop mm. that love for. Mm. So so that's where it's like it's not a, like it is not an option for those who follow Jesus because part of whether or not you know you have truly been transformed by the gospel is do you love and when I say the things mm. uh, the the people that Jesus loves, because the more you know him, mm. the more you're going to love and be passionate about the things that he is. So the question I have on, under those three misunderstandings is, so over your time as being a pastor, um, has this changed or has it, has it been this way, um, the, the American church culture that you're you're describing here in these misunderstandings, can you reflect on um, maybe some changes or if, if, if it's really been like this since you started pastoring 15, 16, 17 years ago? Well, you know, when I look at that graph, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to zoom into that graph, mm-hmm. uh, because I started pastoring in uh, 2007, I became a staff member at a church in 2001. Mm. And so it is it, it it is fascinating over the last you know 20 something years because I'm I'm reading a book right now and it's a very fascinating book it's called The Fourth Turning. Mm-hmm. And what this what this author argues and, it, and it's not a Christian book it it actually is a book that charts histories uh well I say histories it charts the history, particularly of of the West, but how there is this cycle to history, and how there are kind of these four turnings in each cycle, and the the first turning is like this growth period, followed by an awakening, followed by attention, and followed by crisis. Mm-hmm. When you look at the last twenty years, because he would say that between basically around 2001 to to 2005, we entered into a time of crisis as just a nation, as a people. And then now we're just on the end, Mm -hmm. the tail end of that crisis. And and what I find fascinating is, and, and he actually charts this too, is that part of the awakening of our cultural context has 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 typically come in the form of these great awakenings, mm-hmm. and he goes all the way back to the Reformation, mm-hmm. and that you can find these great awakenings almost every eighty to a hundred years. So you had the Protestant Reformation, then you had the first great awakening, then the second great awakening, and then you had this evangelical boom where Baptist and the, you know the Baptist denomination and the Methodist denomination in the eighteen thirties and forties just skyrocketed, and then you know a little hundred. A little over a hundred years later, he had the Jesus movement. Now, I say all of that to say where where what we've seen over the last twenty years has almost been a crisis. Not only in our larger cultural context, yeah. there's been this crisis in the subculture church yeah. context, and I think it's I think part of the crisis that has happened is that we have lost. And again, th- this was a building up. So it's not like we automatically lost it overnight. No, this, this was a tension that was being created even decades ago. But now we've, we've seen it exposed. Mm. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the height, and this is where I feel like 2020 may have been more so the tail end because what happened in 2020? You had the COVID crisis where people said, well, well, the church, the church isn't closed. Now, uh, 90, I think it was 96% of churches in some sense closed for corporate worship. But there was the sentiment, well, well, the church has never closed. Well, I think it showed a, a failure to understand the totality mm. of what it means to be the church because the church is gathered, the church is scattered. Mm. That part of 
the the church of 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 her being in the world is a gathered entity, is an assembly, mm. you, you know. And so, they, because again, at the foundation, it's the it's the called out ones. So, so the fact that there were so many people going around going, oh, the church isn't closed, and then you had so many people fall out of, in some sense, the habit. Of going to church because again it was this mindset. Well, I go to church. Well, I no longer have to go to church because now I can get everything online and I can get it through the digital world. Well, I mean, so so that's where I feel like we have we have as a as a uh, as a church culture kind of lost the totality of what it truly means to be the church. Mm-hmm. So so again, we're, we're hopefully Lord willing we're. We're going to come out of that crisis and actually kind of stabilize an understanding of what it truly means to be the church. That's why I felt like this message was so, yeah. so, 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 yeah. so important. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you, we we teach all the time definitions are important. Yeah. Obviously, the uh, the definition of church, of what it is and what it isn't, is uh, is so important. And uh, And as you described it, it wasn't something that just – came upon us rapidly but it it felt feels like a little bit of the the frog in the boiling pot slowly over time yeah and uh and there's this maybe this realization now in uh, in varying levels uh oh the ch- the the church the, these misunderstandings have crept into the church and um and they are prevalent and and because of that some of those charts you showed um so many just you know, it's not even in their vernacular because it's just not even part of their life yeah, at but all. Exactly. And something, too, that I think is really important, this isn't the first time this has happened in our nation. Oh, really? So there, there's – you know, a lot of times we like to – we, we we like to reimagine what history was or we like to reconfigure, you know, and look at history through rose-colored glasses. Yeah. But Rodney Stark, who is an historian and a sociologist, you know, he wrote a book and he actually did a lot of research, he and his co-author, about really what was the spiritual landscape at the very beginning, at the inception of America. And he would actually put church attendance less than 20%. At the very be- at the very beginning of our inception, wow. which is again, it's extremely fascinating. So that's where, when you look at when you look at, and then you had the 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 second kind of great awakening that that happened. That's where you saw this like mm. boom yeah. in church attendance. Yeah. So around the time of the Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfields, and so, but prior to that, it was it it, it was an unhealthy. And in some sense, a very much like non-churchy hmm. type of environment, the colonies. So, so it's fascinating. So that's where, like, I mean, you, you know, even the chart that I put up, it only started at 1940. But if you worked your way back to like the 1740s, the 1700s, you, you, you would have seen it. You, you would have seen the dip somewhere. Mm. And so that's where I'm saying, like, that there is interesting that you, you have these, you have these sick, you know, these cycles yeah. throughout these 80 to 100 year periods. Yeah. So. So in addition to the definition of church, something that you got into was a biblical theology of God's people. Yeah. Uh, that was that was fun. Yeah. For you to do you you really. Uh, Talk to us about the Septuagint and the use of ecclesia, um, and show that ecclesia was not just used at, in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. So, a biblical theology of God's people in ten minutes. <laughs> Is that the quickest you've ever done it? Uh, I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's impressive. And, and what surprised me is that you went all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. I don't think you've preached on Genesis 1 and 2 in a while. No, I mean, well, I, I mean, probably months ago. But th- but this is part of, like, so when you look at our, when, when you look at church attendance trends, and this is why it's so important is because I do believe that there are some challenges that we have today in our in our cultural context. One is biblical illiteracy. Uh, people in the church, they just don't know what they believe. So even for those who have heard this, Let's just say five times. The more that they hear, the more that they're going to be able to regurgitate it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then obviously we've grown. Like so, I think we, I think we have grown by 
four or five hundred in a year. Mm. So th- these are new people. Yeah. And then, like even this past weekend, we had about 50, uh, over fifty uh, new people come through, new to Northland. Yeah. So this may have been the first time that they've heard this. So I mean, you're gonna, I mean, you're gonna keep hearing me go back to it because yeah. it is. It's just this regurgitation mm. of theology of understanding the Bible in some sense, and you know, understanding the Bible in a minute, understanding the Bible in ten minutes yeah. from the beginning to the end charting different themes throughout. So this particular you, you know, time I did this overview of the Bible, I charted God's people. Mm. So uh and how how God has always intended for God's people to fill the earth. So I so I I, I went a little extra in terms of I normally don't talk about the expansion of the boundaries of Eden, but I thought that was really important to connect it to what God had promised Abraham. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you I'm gonna turn you into a great people, mm-hmm. a great nation, and that I'm gonna bless all the families of the earth. So so this idea that God's gonna take this one man, create a people, a nation, and that they're going to have so much when I say influence and God's going to use them in in such a global way that God is going to bring this blessing this flourishing his presence his power his provision to every every family and when and meaning family so every tribe every nation every tongue every people group mm. on planet earth mm. and then obviously they failed mm. but then to really pick that theme back up with Jesus and what he calls his church to do. So so in some sense, like it, it shows the continuity yeah. from Adam uh, to Abraham to Israel to Jesus to the church to uh, the new city. So in Revelation. So so I, I I thought it was so important because that 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 really sets the the frame of understanding when I say the at least the biblical time in which we live, which is this New Testament era of Jesus's church. That's why I, I was very clear that it, because there's other here's the thing. There are other churches out there. Mm. So even when, mm. so even when the Septuagint was written, so they, you know, so the scholars used Ecclesia to talk about Israel, and then even the Greeks used the word Ecclesia to talking about an assembly of, mm. of called out ones. So, so there are other churches out there. Like, so you could look at even other other religions that have gatherings that have, um, you, you know, a, a distinct people, at least in their religious, like that could be quote unquote a church, um, you know, but, but what we're talking about is Jesus's church. Mm. And so that's why it's so important to, you know, have Jesus as the king and ultimately this Jesus centric church as this adjective described that describes the, the nature of who we are. Mm which is distinct from any other assembly or gathering or people or multitude on planet Earth. Amen. The, so. uh, the Bible is one big story, Genesis to Revelation. It, it never gets old hearing it like that. And, um, and obviously that just continues to um, help with, with our you know, collective biblical illiteracy. Um, I think just, just naturally we, we focus on specific stories and I think our our Christian society in America here is specifically even narrowed down to just Bible verses, not even passages, but Bible verses. So hmm. so the more that, that that we can continue continue to see a a, a zoomed out picture, a cohesive story. Um, it's not just a bunch of stories that are unconnected, but uh, continuing to see how those connect together, so very helpful hmm. and uh and will continue to um hmm. To yield you know, spiritual depth and, and growth, so mm. um, I, I I love that you were able to do that in ten minutes, and I love that it connected so well to um, really setting up the foundation of of why the church, yeah, and then obviously setting up these uh, these next few weeks as well. Mm. So let's get into um, you you laid out five truths of the church, and um, and I think this was like if I looked correctly, I think the introduction was about 30 minutes. So you had a pretty good, healthy introduction. Um, oh, you're including the 10-minute? I'm including the 10-minute uh, biblical theology. So once we got to the five truths of the church. Yeah. Um, so let me let me uh, run through these, and then we'll ask a couple questions. I'm not sure if we'll get to all of them, but um, I think these are important to at least restate. 
Uh, so the first one, the church is conceived by the revealed confession. You said your confession is your admission. Second, the church is constructed by the cosmic king. Christ builds the church on the lives of those who confessed Christ. Third, the church is comprised of those who are called out. Fourth, the church is commissioned to go into the depths of hell. And fifth, the, con- the church is a conquering force that cannot be stopped by hell. Um, so those, those last three I see kind of grouped together. But before we get there, I want to ask a question about um, this idea of, of who builds the church. You said, um, Jesus said, I will build my church. And you said, I am just a tool. I am part of the vehicle. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus's church. And you even went as far to say Jesus doesn't need me or you to build the church. Why is that point so important for us to um, recognize? Why is it so important for you to say that from the pulpit and for us to really understand and put into practice? Uh, Because I don't want to get a big head. Uh, I want to remain humble. Because when you look at history and even if you look at even our landscape today is, you you know, God really does work. And that's why, like drilling down on Peter being a dope, uh, I'm a tool, you know, in that funny sense, you know, like, um, and if I ever think I'm anything other than that, uh, then Jesus just might move on and use someone else. Um, And so because he's building his church, so if I make... If I make it about the tool or if I make it about the vehicle mm. and not the one who's driving the vehicle or not or or the one who's using the tool mm. then then I've completely missed the picture mm. and so if you think about when you go to Home Depot and you buy tools, they're there for the owner's usage mm. when they buy it. Mm. you know the vehicle when you go and purchase the vehicle, that vehicle is at your disposal. Well, Jesus is not at my disposal for me to use Jesus to, in some sense, do whatever I want or to get whatever accolades I feel like I might need. Mm. No, I'm there at Jesus's disposal. Uh, That's why the New Testament teaches us, Paul teaches us, that we were bought with the price Mm. and we are not our own anymore. Mm. And so that's why I feel like it's so important to realize whose we are and what our role is in the church and then we can kind of move. We we can then kind of move on from there. But it but it's a healthy, healthy perspective. Like mm-hmm. what God's doing here at Northland. Like I, 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 I you know, I just want people to to realize that that doesn't. Ha- you know, even what we've seen in the the last year. I, I, you know, not a lot of churches see. Not a lot of churches see almost 150 people. In which you know there were some other uh, there there were some other people that got baptized outside. You know, when I say outside, but connected to Northland. And so, so we, we had over 150 people come to faith in Christ. There, there, there are when I say hundreds of thousands of churches that don't even bat, you know, uh, they only baptize one. So uh, we experienced growth last year. Sixty mm. percent uh, of churches have either declined or they have plateaued. They're not growing. And so, um, and again, I don't want to just measure like the growth, numerical growth, but but what we're seeing is spiritual growth. I mean, and here's the thing, spiritual growth, people coming to know Jesus, people going deeper in terms of their commitment mm. in following Jesus, that's Jesus building his church. Mm. And so that that's what I don't want to take for granted. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm just I, I'm just a tool. That's why, I, yeah. like, when people you, you know, and I, and obviously I love you know, anybody loves encouragement, you, you know. Um, so when when people encourage me about how God uses me, that's why I I, mean, I I don't want people to get tired of me saying this, but to God be the glory. I'm yeah. just great. I truly am. I'm just grateful to be used. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a there's a fine line in in the missions world. They'll say you you've never met an over encouraged missionary. Yeah, <laughs> I would say the same for pastors. I'd say the same for church staff. I'd say the same for believers. I'd say the same for anybody. You've you've probably never met anybody that's over encouraged in their life. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah. but as 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 you know, being the leader, there is certainly that fine line. Yeah. In that balance. Yeah. Because you do need encouragement. 
Yeah. We do need encouragement, right? Um, but it has to be within perspective. Yeah. And what and it's always it's always interesting when when I've heard in the past, well, we just want to keep you humble. Well, I mean, okay, but but if I have a healthy view of Jesus, He will keep me humble. Mm. Mm. I don't. I don't. You don't need other people to keep you humble. Mm. Mm. You need a healthy view of Christ that keeps you humble. Yeah. And I think you know. I think sure. that that is the healthy view is that mm. I, I'm. I'm just a tool in the tool belt of my king as opposed to anything other than than that. So, yeah, and there can be this uh this healthy respect and fear of the Lord and reverence when when there's the reality of he may move on and use yeah, and I and I don't want him to. Here's the thing: I don't want to move. I don't want him to move on. So I, listen, I want to. I want to remain close, mm-hmm. clean, humble, and, and that's also why. Like, if you've been successful in your life or whatever you think is successful, please do me a favor. Don't think that you did that. Mm-hmm. Don't don't think that you did that because because that's where like you know there are times, and I mean this with all my heart. There are times I look back on a sermon and go, "How in the world did?" I come up with it. But here's the thing. I, I realize I didn't come up with it. The mm. Spirit of God gave that to me mm. for the edification, for the building up mm. of his church. Like, so that's where, like, that's where, like, I, you know, for, for me, like, to look back and go, wow, that, I mean, that, I mean, here's the thing, some good stuff. But, but please understand, like, that ain't my stuff. Like you know, now I, I'm not ripping it off any other individual, but I promise you this: I didn't come up with it. The Spirit of God, like that's why, as I'm developing this and I'm seeing how all of this is like coming together and how it's flowing, I'm like, that is the Spirit of God. That isn't my intellect. That isn't my smarts. Yeah. Because here's the thing: I don't have an intellect. In that sense, like I haven't created it, mm. God's given it to me. I don't have these, you know, the, the 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 smarts to like. No, no, God's given it. You know, so here's the thing: the Spirit of God works in and through my heart, my mind, my hand as I write, as I craft out, so that He actually might use me as a mouthpiece to share what He wants yeah. the church to hear, mm. so that Jesus might build His church. So a good example of that is this this week as you were doing sermon prep, uh, Matthew sixteen right fifteen through eighteen. You mentioned something like there was there was parts of this sermon that you know just a few days before you didn't know we're going to be in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was all sorts of I think even a lot of the these five truths. Well, yeah, I didn't even think I was going to. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I'm sitting there praying, I and mean, because here's the thing, like. The whole idea of the sermon prep, it's not just at these specified times throughout the week where I sit at my desk and no I mean it it is it is an immersive experience. Yeah. Hmm. So when I'm walking the dog, I'm praying and thinking, I'm listening, you, you know, to to things. I'm dwelling actually on the passage, and hmm. and then I mean, I can show you on my my little note section on my phone how many notes I actually hmm. take because I'm away from my desk per se. Sure. And then you, you know what God does even on those walks and on those runs, and hmm. you, you know just me like then I come back, I sit down. I mean, so but see that that that. That that is that intimate connection with Jesus, and me being the, the 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 receptive one to go. What do you want to tell your church? Because you're building, you're, you're building your church. I'm not, I'm not building. Like I'm just in, in some sense, I'm like this mediator, and because of my calling as a pastor, like so so he's the he's the ultimate shepherd. He's the ultimate good shepherd. I'm just an under shepherd. So I'm under the good shepherd, and so I'm I'm hearing from the good shepherd and just a mouthpiece and a tool and a vehicle so that he can so he can you know equip his church so that he can encourage his church so he can exhort his church mm-hmm. so that he can build his church by by by. Uh, 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 bringing people by the Spirit of God, drawing people to Jesus. So I'm just the, the and that's where I don't ever want to. I, I, don't, I don't want another position. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I want, I, I'm I'm pretty I, I'm I'm pretty good with my position. So well, and part of the I'm content. Uh, good. Yeah. 
part part of the uh, being a conduit, I think, really um, uh, played itself out in these these next three truths. Uh, the church is comprised of those who are called out. The church is commissioned to go to the depths of hell, and then the church is a conquering, uh, conquering force that cannot be stopped by hell. You talked about um, this idea of politic mm. and how it means a little uh, something a little different than we kind of think of it today. And you had said, it's okay if you want to be part of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but don't miss that you are part of the line of the tribe of Judah party. Yeah. Um, that's, that's powerful. And, and then there was another part that, uh, that you mentioned that was in this, uh, this grouping of, of points was you said, we are not sent back into the world to transform hell into heaven, but to reach citizens of hell and invite them to become citizens of heaven. Can you talk a little bit more about that? It was a um, pretty a pretty impassioned point, and um, it, and it felt pretty prophetic in what you see from kind of who who we've become and as the church in America, and uh, and wanting to kind of call that out in us as a, as yeah. a group as a collective. This is part of where like the, the the messy middle really comes into the forefront of my mind again because I know that there are people that they didn't like what I said about that, and then there are probably people that don't like like when I call them uh, hell on earth, <laughs> you know. So, uh, uh, but this is where like if you're gonna if, if you're gonna follow in the vein of Jesus, you're gonna have to be okay with people not understanding you and even misunderstanding you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, years ago, I read a, read a book called Body Politic by John Howard Yoder. Mm. And it was a very fascinating book because that's where all, you know, that's where I learned this idea that, you know, politic is, is not how we in some sense think of in terms of the political party now. But if you think about it, if you really drill down at the core of our political parties, that there is a core way of living, mm. that there is a core belief. Like, mm. uh, you, you know, again, I'm making, I'm about to make a general state, you know, general generalizations. So don't shoot me, okay? Oh, I don't want to see an email. But go. like the Democratic Party was for big government. Mm. It was, a, it was a way of of a, of, of a politic. Mm. And then Republicans were for small government. And in that, you know, it was how they lived in big government, how they lived in small government, you, you know, so government. So so at the at the core, and then we see that play out now, is that you have one party, this is kind of their way and uh, of looking, this their vision for America. The other party, this is their way. This is their vision. This is their way of thinking about life in America. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's where for for us as the church, God has not called us to uh, to gravitate towards one party or the other because we are a different party. Mm-hmm. Because our party is not of this world. Our party is actually in the world, but not of the world. Our party, because it's in the world and not of the world, still does seek to work for the common good, but always to maintain our distinctiveness mm. as God's people. Mm. That's why like, I can't wait until this series in June when I talk about the church in a divided democracy. Mm. Because I'll, I'll actually unpack that those statements, yeah. you know, that I made, and so I don't want to give away too much. But what you what you see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and more so in the Old Testament, you see this in the exile. So you know, when I talked about how Israel failed and God kicked them out of the Promised Land, they became exiles in a foreign land. So they were living in Babylon. Mm. God never called Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were these young Jewish men who now saw, you know, who now found themselves in this foreign land working for this foreign king in his foreign government. God never called them to transform Babylon into an Israel. He called them to seek the peace and the welfare of Babylon, yeah. to pray for yeah. the good of Babylon. I mean, like, dwell on that one. Yeah. That's what I like. That's what I, for years, I've like, really dwell on that. That this same, the same country that came in and sacked Jerusalem, who killed many of their family members, and definitely friends, and hauled them off to a foreign land, God wants them to seek the peace, the, the total flourishing of Babylon. Mm. 
And then when you fast forward to the New Testament, uh, who was in charge when Jesus came to town? The Roman Empire. Do, do we see him say you need to take up arms and overthrow the Roman Empire? Uh, we actually see him in this messy middle saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's mm-hmm. and God what is God's. There's this idea that we're going to, we are going to seek the good of even this, this wicked, immoral empire yeah. while still maintaining our distinctive, our, 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 our distinctiveness as the holy people of God. And nowhere will you ever find Paul. Say, hey, we here's what we got to do, guys. We got to overthrow the Roman Empire. We got to force them to think like us. We got to force them to live like us. We got to force them to believe our politic, our way of life. No, it was never that. And so I don't like, and that's where I, I, I mean, again, I see it throughout church history. I mean, you, you, yeah. you also think of the Middle Ages and the Crusades. I mean, there again, there's a, there, there is a. Um, a failure in in parts of church history on the church to understand her calling in the world, but that uh, that so yeah. for, for the very first time though in unpacking this verse, I'm like, and the gates of Hades will not over like overcome it. Like so, he doesn't want us to transform the gates. He's just wanting us to storm the gates, mm. but but in what way? Mm. As his people. Yeah. Uh, the same way Jesus entered into the world, mm. he wants us to enter into because he again Jesus he entered into the gates of Hades. Yeah. So the same way he entered into, he wants us he wants to send us back into. And how did Jesus? How did he accomplish salvation through his sacrifice? So how will we? accomplish ultimately the sentness of the church through our sacrifice. And so, and again, I'm not saying that we all, I'm not telling us to go and crucify ourselves on the cross. That's not, but, but it's this, it's this now dying to ourself. It's this dying for the world. It's this, it's this deep seated love for the brokenness. It's this deep seated love for those who are depraved. It's this deep seated love for those who are living in darkness, who need the light. And so that's, that, that, that is the, the sentness of of the church into the depths of hell, mm. not 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 to you know so so and I even thought about this later on when I was walking Sunday afternoon that he has not sent us into the world to slay the world by force, yeah. but to pray for the world in love. Well, this was a this was a, a fundamental misunderstanding of that the Jewish people had of the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in a way, we're we're still doing it right. So, like, we were never called to transform. That's always Jesus's job. Right? So, so to with that. So, in verse twenty of this context of this passage, Jesus ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, why? Why would he tell tell them? Don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah because they weren't they weren't expecting that kind of Messiah, right? So, because the kind of Messiah they were expecting, we're still waiting for today. Yeah, well, because they were expecting someone to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and to institute the golden days of Israel. Mm. Yeah, and and he is coming that way, and that—that's the prophetic message that we give. He is coming back to be the conquering king. We're not the conquering king. He is. So, uh, it, it probably would just be to our best interest to enter into the world the same way Jesus entered into the world and let him come back and enter into the world as the conquering king yeah. who will establish, fully establish and consummate his kingdom here on earth. So, but, but that's not our, that's not for us to do. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. So, it's so that, so, so it's so important. Like it goes back to like our Ted series in July. Yeah. You know, and when we were talking about gender and sexuality, listen, we are not bashing the world for their belief in this. Mm. Like, we're not shaming them. We're not guilting them for their belief. Like, like, here's the thing. We're all like I was at I was at a, an event yesterday where a guy's like, you, you know, he is like this director of this uh, men's addiction residential program. And he's like, some people are broken. Some people are not. No, no, no. We're all broken. We're we're all we're all addicted. 
we're all addicted to this thing called sin, and it just manifests itself in different ways. So for some people, it manifests itself in addiction to alcohol, uh, substance abuse, uh, some anger, uh, some in this sexual broken element. Like So we're, we're all, like here's the thing, we're all jacked up. We're all messed up. Mm. And, and so, but that's the thing. Like the church, we're not bashing anybody. We're not, we're not shaming anybody for their belief. But what we are doing is we're inviting them into this, this new politic. We're inviting them into this, what, this is what I call evangelism. The definite, you know, the way I define evangelism is inviting people into the good news story of King Jesus, who's in the process of making all things new through his death and resurrection. So, so we're going in and offering them hope and salvation and inviting them into this good news story mm-hmm. and then letting Jesus shape their new way of thinking, mm-hmm. shape their new way of thinking about substances, shape, shaping uh, their new way of thinking about, you know, how they view their gender, how they view sexuality, how they engage. Like, so, so again, I'm not sitting there telling the world, you know what, well, you need to get your act right because they can't get their act right unless they come to Jesus Amen. in that regard. Amen. And and I would even say this about the church. This is why, I, like, I, you know, and let me just be clear. Like, we are a dysfunctional body, but we are becoming more functional, hopefully, uh, day by day, week by week, year by year, because of the Spirit's work in us. Amen. So, so that's where, like, we jacked up, too. So uh, until we can get our house in order, mm. which won't be this side of heaven, mm. we— Sure as heck, and I said, yeah, heck, we sure as heck don't need to go and tell everybody else to get their house in order apart from Jesus. When we, who have Jesus living inside of us, sometimes have a problem getting our act together. Well said. So those were the five truths on the church. Something I wanted to uh, make sure we spend time on is these New Testament descriptions of the Yeah, because at the 11 o'clock, I didn't get there. Now, what I will say, though— this coming week, I will put them up again because I okay. think it's important Great. that we we see these kind of through you know kind of throughout um, be, because what they're going to show is almost like even different elements of these four C's. Okay, so so let me read these yeah. for us: the uh, the New Testament descriptions of the ecclesia, the bride of Christ, which is the relationship to Christ, the body of Christ, that's the function or roles and responsibilities within the assembly. Uh, the family or household of God, that's the relationship to one another. The temple of God, that's the function within the world as a mediating force. And the citizens of the kingdom, that's the perspective of position in the world. So when we look at, at these kind of as a whole, what's what's the most important thing about this collection of, of New Testament descriptions of the ecclesia that you want to help us understand? Well, just know they're a unit. They're not individuals. They're comprised mm. of individuals, but they are units. Mm. So the bride of Christ. They're not brides mm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, local churches are these manifestations of the bride of Christ. Like, uh, you know, a, a, a good example of this would be, at, at least from an Old Testament perspective, you had you had the temple. It was the temple. There weren't multiple temples. Yeah. There was one temple. You know where that was located? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that's why every year for the Passover, you you had this in some sense migration to Jerusalem and everybody stayed in and around Jerusalem for the the Passover that was going to take place at the temple but do you know what you had all over the region and even in cities throughout the Roman Empire that Jews would gather around in synagogues synagogues so these synagogues were more of uh, these extensions or these kind of outposts of the temple. Now, again, they, they didn't do the temple, all, all of the temple stuff there. But so, so very similarly, you have what, you know, in, in history they call the invisible church, in some sense the big C church. But it becomes visible by all of these local churches. Mm. So, so that, that's important. So, but, but, but even then, like it, it's one body. So, so again, he doesn't have brides 
He has a broad. He doesn't have bodies. He has body, you know, and so that's why it's so important to be connected even to a local body because ultimately mm. we are part of this larger, uh, you know, ecclesia, mm. this, this this assembly multitude uh, congregation of God, and so so that I would stress that part is that we we are a unit. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to um, first of all uh, against the individual nature of hey i can i can have it my way or the church is an option right and it it really pushes up, pushes against our individualistic um ness of our society into really all of these stresses the the communal yeah. the grouping um the importance of being connected to and not being separated from or even thinking that individually we can serve as any of these by ourselves. Yeah. And the the other part that I would dive just a little bit deeper on in terms of these five descriptions is this is the first time that I've taken those descriptions and in some sense uh, gave a little longer description of how that depicts or characterizes you know the church in some way. So like the bride of Christ characterizing our relationship with Christ as a bride, which which should hopefully bring a lot of joy to your life. Uh, when, when you look at Jesus being our husband and the kind of husband he is, mm. is that uh, he's not going to he's not going to leave you for being unfaithful. Mm. I mean, just like he ain't, like that's why you ain't got to walk around with shame or guilt. He lo- like he loves you. Mm. He forgives you. Uh, he's for you. Uh, and through uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter five, he's cleansing us. He's purifying us. So, mm. so in some sense, he knows how dirty we are. It goes back to the Old Testament. Not not Im- it, it, well. It's a, it's an imagery, but it actually happened. But you have Hosea and Gomer. So Hosea was this prophet of God, and God tells Hosea, I want you to go and take Gomer, who's this prostitute, as a wife. Because what he's depicting is <laughs> Gomer represents Israel. Hosea, you represent me. Uh, just know that this is how I see Israel, but I still love her. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I mean, and then you take it to this whole just cosmic dimension with Jesus. That he sees you as he sees you as mm. part of his bride. That's the kind of relationship he he wants to have with you. And then this body of Christ of this roles and functions is that. And, and then if you think about it this way, is that you, you know there's no part of the body that's better than the other. It, it all has to do because we all need one another to be whole. Yeah. Like sure, in, in in a physical sense, I could chop off my ear. And I could still have my left ear, but I'm not whole. Mm. I could live without an arm, but I'm not whole. And so, therefore, there, if I'm without this ear, if I'm without this arm, there is a deficiency that I have, which is why we need every single believer that mm. comes together in the body of Christ and finds out what their role mm. and their responsibility is. Um, and then the family. That that's why like it, it's so it's such an important description because uh, I mean now I've read the crazy stories over the years where I mean, again they they're, they're few and far between but you'll have a child that wants to divorce their parents. You know, uh, you, you obviously have the the dysfunction of estrangement. You know, for obviously various reasons, but at the core, though, there's this idea where when when you're part of a family, like regardless of what that family, like your, your family. Well, here, what unites us as family is not only our Father in heaven, but our King, who is also seen as the uniting brother. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's bringing us together, and so that's why we see the usage of brothers and sisters, and so mm. that that's why we are we ought to fight for the unity uh, of the church because we are a family. And uh, is there drama in families? <laughs> I think we could laugh at that one. Oh. Yeah, there's drama in family, but but as the the new family of God. Mm. We ought to we ought to try and seek to work out mm. 
our issues, our conflict, because it's actually going to be in our family unity that we reveal the power of the good news of King Jesus, where he is uniting brothers and sisters who come from different tribes, nation, tongues, socioeconomic backgrounds, races, ethnicities. He's uniting us together. Amen. So, um, and then, you know, the temple of God, the citizens of heaven. Now, the temple of God, I'm going to go a little bit more into detail about the temple this coming week when we talk about connecting with God and others. Okay. Uh, because that, that, you know, that's kind of really ultimately what would happen at the temple is that right. you're connecting with God. Right. Uh, and, you know, at, at times you're connecting with others. Course, but, yeah. but what's fascinating in terms of the New Testament people of God, a.k.a. Jesus's church, we are now these living stones. Uh, we are the these living micro temples because uh, Paul's going to write in Corinthians that we are our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he's also going to write in Ephesians, and Peter is also going to write in his epistle that now we. As these living stones, we're actually coming together to build the temple, the house of God. Mm. So there's something unique. Mm. There's actually something mysterious. Mm. There's something even more powerful when these living stones, a.k.a. believers, Christians, actually come together in corporate worship to connect with one another, to ultimately vertically connect with God. Some There's something, and this is what the, you know, this is what the New Testament, there's something mysterious, there's something powerful that happens when that mm. occurs mm. than just having a personal devotion mm. at home. So so that that's what makes this this idea of connecting with God and others in this in this sense of corporate worship mm. like oh wow. so wow yeah yeah that's um this certainly that point in this whole week um obviously we're trying to uh elevate this idea of church in a way that church has been uh really lowered in our society's view um, so let's uh, let's wrap up by looking at these takeaways that you okay. you gave to us. Um, four takeaways: first, the church isn't a destination, but a body of people headed towards a final destination. Second, being a part of a church in general and a local church specifically isn't an option, but a requirement for Christians. Uh, third, the church has been birthed by God's mission for God's mission, not the other way around. And then your favorite, I think, uh, to find out what churches do to participate in God's mission, you got to come back yep. all four weeks, right? Yep. Where we're going to go through connect, cultivate, care, and commission. Yeah. So any final thoughts on uh, on those takeaways or, or where we're moving? No, I mean, I think those are, I mean, fairly uh, explain, you know, uh, fairly, I would say fairly clear. Yep. Uh, ex, uh, what's the word? Explanatory. Self-explanatory. So, yeah, self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as as we move further into this series, we're actually going. So so we see that God is on mission mm-hmm. to create at the very beginning, and then when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated, and so now God has to redeem. So God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples mm. to reflect His glory in all spheres of life. And now we're living in the era or the period of time, uh, the the New Testament, so the New Covenant, and the New Covenant people of God is called the church. So it's Jesus's church. And so when you look at what God has called His people to do, and this could be you could, and this is where I'm going to show this too, um, what God calls His people to, it could. It could have been the Old Testament uh, people of God, mm. and it can be the New Testament people of God. But what you will see is he actually calls them to these these same four activities. Mm-hmm. He wants them to connect with him and one another. Mm-hmm. He wants them to be cultivated into disciples or learners as well as cultivating leaders yep. to lead yep. these disciples and learners, and then to care for people and resources, and then to be commissioned to neighbors and nations. Again, and this is where, like, I just, I'm telling you, I love this because it's like, like it's not anything new. Mm-mm. That That's where I'm like, I'm trying, like, I want to pound, I want to pound that drum. It's not new. It's not new. 
The only thing new for the church is that now we have the power to do it. Amen. Because Jesus has died and he rose again. Mm. So he has changed us. He's transformed us. He has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light of his kingdom. And he has deposited deposited his spirit within us so that we can do these things Mm. as he advances his mission in the world through the tools and the vehicle. So, yeah, that's, that's that's where we're going. So so with that, Northland family and friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Extra Takes. We love you, and we thank God for you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.